0: Chapter Sixty Four of Blind Love. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Emily Rameh. Blind Love by Wilkie Cullins and Walter Pissant. Chapter Sixty Four The Invincibles. The Proceedings of Lord Harry after he had sent off that cheque were most remarkable if he had invited actually courted what followed he could not have acted differently he left london and crossed over to dublin arrived right there he went to a small hotel entirely frequented by irish americans and their friends it was suspected of being the principal place of resort of the invincibles it was known to be a house entirely given up to the nationalists. He made no attempt to conceal his name. He entered the hotel, greeted the landlord cheerfully, saluted the head waiter, ordered his dinner, and took no notice of the sullen looks with which he was received, or the scowls which followed him about the coffee-room, where half a dozen men were sitting and talking, for the most part in whispers. He slept there that night. The next day, Still openly and as if there was nothing to fear either from England or from Ireland, he walked to the station and took his ticket, paying no attention to what all the world might have seen and understood that he was watched. When he had taken his ticket, two men immediately afterwards took tickets to the same place. The place where he was going was that part of Kenney where the Invincibles had formerly assassinated Arthur Mountjoy. The two men who followed him, who took their tickets for the same place, who got into the same carriage with them were two members of that same fraternity it was well known that he who joins that body and afterwards leaves it or disobeys its order or is supposed to betray its secrets incurs the penalty of death on the unexpected arrival of lord harry at this hotel there had been hardly called together a meeting of those members then in dublin it was resolved that the traitor must be removed lots were cast and the lot fell upon one who remembered past acts of kindness done by Lord Harry to his own people. He would fain have been spared this business. But the rules of the society are imperative. He must obey. It is the practice of the society, when a murder has been resolved upon, to appoint a second man, whose duty it is to accompany the murderer and to see that he executes his task. In the afternoon, about an hour before sunset, the train arrived at the station where lord harry was to get down the station-master recognized him and touched his hat then he saw the two other men got down after him and he turned pale i will leave my portmanteau said lord harry in the clock-room it will be called for afterwards the station-master remembered those words lord harry did not say i will call for it but it will be called for ominous words the weather was cold a drizzling rain fell the day was drawing in lord harry left the station and started with a quick step along the road which stretched across a dreary desolate piece of country the two men walked after him one presently quickened his step leaving the second man twenty yards behind the station-master looked after them till he could see them no longer then he shook his head and returned to his office lord harry walking along the road knew that the two men were following him presently he became aware that one of them was quickening his pace he walked on perhaps his cheeks paled and his lips were set close because he knew that he was walking to his death the steps behind him approached faster faster lord harry never even turned his head the man was close behind him the man was beside him Mickey O'Flynn it is, said Lord Harry. "'Tis a traitor you are,' said the man. "'Your friends, the Invincibles, told you that, Mickey. "'Why? Do you think I don't know? "'Man, what are you here for?' "'Well,' he stopped. "'I am unarmed. "'You have got a revolver in your hand. "'The hand behind your back. "'What are you stopping for?' "'I cannot,' said the man. "'You must, Mickey O'Flynn, you must.' Earth's murdered you'll be yourself said lord harry coolly why man Tis but to lift your hand and then you'll be a murderer for life i am another we shall both be murderers then why don't you fire man by i cannot said mickey he held the revolver behind him but he did not lift his arm his eyes started his mouth was open the horror of the murderer was upon him before the murder was committed then he started look he cried look behind you my lord lord harry turned the second man was upon him he bent forward and peered in his face arthur mountjoy's murderer he cried and sprang at his throat one two three shots rang out in the evening air those who heard them in the roadside cabin at the railway station on the road shuddered they knew the meaning of those shots one more murder to load the soul of ireland but lord harry lay dead in the middle of the road the second man got up and felt his throat faith he said i thought i was murdered outright come mick let us drag him to the roadside they did so and then with bent heads and slouched hats they made their way across country to another station where they would not be recognized as the two who had followed lord harry down the road two mounted men of the constabulary rode along an hour later and found the body laying where it had been left they searched the pockets they found a purse with a few sovereigns the portrait of a lady the murdered man's wife sealed envelope addressed to hugh mountjoy ask care of his london hotel and a card-case nothing of any importance it is Lord Harry Norland, said one, the wild lord, he has met his end at last. The letter to Iris was brief. It said, Farewell, I am going to meet the death of one who is called a traitor to the cause. I am the traitor because far higher. May the end that is already plotted for me be accepted as an atonement. Forgive me, Iris. Think of me as kindly as you can, but I charge you. It is my latest word. Mourn not for one who has done his best to poison your life and to ruin your soul. In the other letter he said, I know the affection you have always entertained for Iris. She will tell you what she pleases about the past. If she tells you something about her late husband, think the worst and you will not be wrong. Remember that whatever she has done was done for me and at my instigation. She ought to have married you instead of me i am in the presence of death the men who are going to kill me are under this very roof they will kill me perhaps tonight perhaps they will wait for a quieter and a safer place but they will kill me in the presence of death i rise superior to the pitiful jealousy with which i have always regarded you i now despise it i ask your pardon for it help iris to forget the action of her life of which she has most reason to be ashamed show that you forgive me when you have forgiven her and when you have helped her in the warmth and strength of your love to drive me out of your thoughts for ever h n End of chapter sixty four